0: Hello everybody and welcome to this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller here with my fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: Great. I'm excited for today. Today is part two. We're talking about foot and ankle. So we did part one. So if this is your first time catching us on this topic, definitely go back and check out part one. We'll highlight some of the amazing things we talked about but today you can see here part two solutions and strategies for improved foot and ankle function so wendy why don't you kind of kick us off tell us what we're going to do this week
1: yes well as marty said if you missed part one we went over a lot of um, anatomy so we did talk about the 26 bones that were in, in the foot and ankle complex as well as the 30 joints and the 20 muscles um we did talk a lot about the arch and how of course when you're walking You've got to think about your weight and how it's distributed through the foot and ankle. And of course, that is going to absorb the shock. And if you don't have good alignment and you don't have really good dorsiflexion, that obviously there's going to be multiple compensations that can occur throughout the ankle, as well as the knee, as well as the hip, and then all the way up the kinetic chain. So once again, you know, really thinking about during your assessment process and identifying what you see, even if it's minimal, is going to maximize your program design because as people get more and more tired, obviously those compensations are going to become worse and therefore it can impact everything that you're having your client do. So as we're gonna recap just quickly on some of those um, uh, uh, points that you see, you know, with some of the slides, we're also gonna talk about the common movement impairments. However, just because we have um, compensations and you're noticing things on the assessment, Marty and I wanted to put together today at part two, some of the different exercises that you can do to try to help clean up those compensations and make sure that when you guys leave here, you feel very comfortable if your client is, you know, feet externally rotating, if their arches collapse. And if you notice, you know, some other uh, compensations that we've talked about, what you can do to help clean those up.
0: Yeah. And I, I really got some good feedback from the first one. And What I try to do personally, because this is an area that I really had to work hard on uh, as it was one of my kind of weaknesses in my kinetic chain is I try to integrate some type of single leg slash single foot balance exercise every single day I train. We're gonna go through program design, but it's one of those things now where I'm always trying to incorporate more and more balance work. And, it's, you know, just spending more time on that foot and ankle, keeping it in neutral, because those muscles are so important. And if I want to do my higher intensity training, and if I want to, you know, be able to really do pretty much anything from a fitness and athletic standpoint, I really want to make sure my foot and ankle are, you know, functioning to the highest level possible.
1: And I think it's also important to note, you know, we did go over some, obviously, some ideal range of motion and the importance even in the first MTP joint, which is your big toe. And if you don't have approximately 70 degrees of motion in that one particular joint, or if you're lacking dorsiflexion, so you're way under 20 degrees and you're not in the 15 to 20 degrees range, it really can affect someone, especially if you are dealing with, you know, high-performance athletes some, you know, weekend warriors or people that enjoy running for fun. I remember those days when I actually, that was me. Um, but, uh, you know, so so you've got to think, you know, what is one of the main components, unless obviously you have a disability, you're going to be on your feet. And so therefore you've got to make sure that your your body can handle the weight and you're, you've got equal weight distribution accordingly. So therefore you can minimize chances of injury pain or discomfort, if you will, and um, and obviously maximize, you know, the outcome in your programming so they get better results. So, Without a doubt. yeah. So let's go ahead and talk about some of the slides just as a brief recap. So if we go to the next one. Remember, there's approximately 20 muscles that give the foot its shape. Of course, the foot's gonna you know provide the support and your ability to move. And so we did discuss this in definitely more detail in part one, but the main muscles that we're gonna focus on, and as you're gonna see when we get into program design, the importance of why we focus on these muscles. Of course, you've got your posterior and anterior tip, you've got your peroneals or I think Marty calls them peroneals. And then, you know, now they call it fibularis just to make it even more confusing. Well, I'm However, all screwed
0: up we're point. still
1: talking about the same muscles. Um, and then you've got your, of course your extensors and your flexors of, of the toes and the feet itself. So, so again, we went into a little more detail in part one, but we just wanted to, to make sure when we talk about the primary muscles, these are what we're going to be discussing today. And then if we go to the next slide, Just as another quick recap, you know, assessments and, um, you know, I'll go ahead and take this one too, Marty and then I'll hand it over. I don't want to steal the show here, but, you know, always it's super important to properly line your individual up in the five kinetic chain checkpoints before you start. So therefore you can see from the starting point and ideal alignment where they deviate once you start adding in the movement patterns. And so as you can see on the slide, we provided you with some of the the assessments that we feel are very important as long as they are safe. So to no surprise, we have the overhead squat assessment. And then if someone's feet turn out, and you're not sure if it's, you know, feet turning out because of certain things or you're noticing things at the hip. If you actually put a board or something small underneath the heels of the client and then perform the modified overhead squat assessment and you notice that the feet stays straight, then you know that it's going to be mainly the ankle over the hip. Um, however, you know you still may still see some issues going on at the hip where you're going to have to focus on both. However, you're going to know that a big part of what's happening at the lower extremity um, is is mainly due to lack of dorsiflexion um, throughout the ankle um, the ankle complex. If you notice that that became better. And then if you want to see even more what's happening on an unstable, like an instability type of assessment with the foot and ankle complex, you can do the single leg squat again, only if it's safe for the client and they did not have something that looked horrendous on the overhead squat on two feet. If he felt that it was safe for them to be on one, then of course that would be a really good assessment. And then just to kind of help identify, what what's happening, and to kind of say yes or no, um, you can look into some of the mobility assessments. And remember, if someone you know has their feet externally rotated, and then you have them perform, for example, one of the mobility assessments, such as the weight bearing lunge here. That weight-bearing lunge, just as a recap, is your foot is about two inches away from the wall, and then from there, you're going to have that client lunge forward, meaning that the knee is going to see if it can touch the wall without compensation. If they can safely do that and they, quote, pass, then you know that a lot of the compensations that are occurring are due to lack of strength in the muscles, However, if they cannot touch the wall, you know it's more restriction, so it is going to be extremely important to spend a lot of time focusing on the um, proper foam rolling as well as stretching techniques before implementing the specific, um, the specific activation exercises to help with it. However, as we've talked about multiple multiple times in the corrective exercise continuum, always you know, foam roll and stretch what's overactive, strengthen what's underactive and it's a win win. And then, of course, we talked a lot about the goniometer. If you know how to use a goniometer, which is where it's the human protractor and you want to measure joints to be more specific and make sure that you're seeing an increase in range of motion, that is awesome and also an awesome tool to
0: use. Wendy, you did an awesome job covering all the opportunities <laughs> to really assess. But no, I mean I mean this in a good in, in a way is that there's so much there. However, mm-hmm. start with one. Start with the overhead squat. Start w- and then you can add in the modified. Then you can add in the single leg squat. These things don't all need to be done day one. Now, Wendy has uh, you know a reputation in her area for being the hands-on corrective exercise specialist because she's got the touch license. I was kind of known for the corrective exercise. So people might come in and say, hey, whatever it takes, tear me apart, spend an hour doing an assessment, not a problem. So don't think that this has to all be done day one. If you're in an environment where you're training multiple people or you're training people where they don't even understand assessments, as long as you're doing something day one to give yourself an idea, and then you can sprinkle these other assessments in. So we just wanted to give you the complete list of everything that is offered So that way you can, can really kind of like, you know, peel it back layer by layer to really be more specific, but don't think that, well, if I can't do all this, I'm just going to go back to training people without even doing the assessment. Start with the overhead squat and then add in these other assessments as you either seem, uh, you know, competent in them and you feel comfortable and or deem that they're necessary, but they don't all have to be done day one.
1: And I think it's also important to note Marty to that point. I mean, when we're doing assessments guys, this should be 10 minutes or less. If you're spending more than 10 minutes doing assessments with your clients, I mean, and I'm taking away, hopefully you've already kind of got a good good background of like subjective information, what their ultimate goals are, making sure the park queue is, you know, that you've got the clearance that you need and that they are deemed safe to work out with you. I mean, that is obviously very, very critical to get beforehand. But when you're actually doing this movement stuff, I mean, just say, okay, I want you to squat. And that's why it's important to practice, 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 because if you can really start to see something quickly, they're not doing 15 or 20 different squats in all different directions just so you can try to identify it. You want it to be these are the big hitters. This is what I'm going to note. And then deal with that first, because as we've talked about throughout all of this, you're going to start to see things clean up as you look throughout the you know the entire kinetic chain because everything is interconnected versus the regional independence model that's why we brought that up is because one thing leads to another and so you know to marty's point pick pick what you feel comfortable with and then move on but as the last bullet says please print out the solutions table if you're really not comfortable yet with some of the the anatomy. Because as you get more and more familiar with the solutions table, it literally says, if you see this compensation, roll and stretch this, activate that, and it will help. And remember, it takes the body four to six weeks to start to see those adaptations occur. So give yourself some time. And even though it might be repetitive, it's going to really help them long term. And then the you know the the exercises that you do in the resistance portion can be completely different. Yep.
0: Perfect. So we want to review subneutral like just as we did last week, I take it? Yeah. Awesome. So I can I can jump in here. So the key thing is we talk about this in a lot of depth last week. So please go back and watch that master structural roundtable cuz we talk a lot about the anatomy, but it is so important. We talk about the five kinetic chain checkpoints and then we do highlight frequently about finding neutral spine as well or having that pelvis in a neutral position but when we talk about the foot and ankle it's not just feet straight that's the starting position we want to see their feet straight to see if they deviate turn out what happens but when you are teaching them how to fix their posture and to correct movement we also want to talk about subtalar neutral so you'll see the image here it shows you the if you look in the middle their foot is straight But you'll also see that their Achilles tendon is in a nice straight line. That's one easy way to look to see if you see any deformation of the Achilles tendon shape. You know that maybe they're either in pronation or supination. So we're looking here at somebody's right foot. So if we start at the left, we see the pronation. This is where the medial malleolus can be lower. But you can also see the shape of the Achilles tendon is now not straight. So that will give you that idea of what's happening a lot of people will think that the foot is flattening they still may have an arch but their medial portion of their foot is getting closer to the ground that medial malleolus is moving inward and then you'll see the change in shape of the achilles tendon that's pronation supination would be the opposite more of a high arch or where their lateral malleolus is leading out Instead of that neutral position. So yes, we want the foot straight, but we're going to teach the person. And I think Wendy, you use a grape as an example. I talk about a thumbtack. <laughs> we want them to keep their toes on the ground, heel on the ground, move their arch back and forth. And as Wendy's cue is, don't squish the grape. We should be able to slide that grape underneath that arch. I use a thumbtack because pain tends to work for me. <laughs> but that visualization of having that neutral arch. So. By doing that, you're strengthening a lot of the intrinsic muscles of the foot and posterior tibialis, et cetera, which we covered again last week. So it's very important as somebody's exercising to now start really focusing in as they're standing. Are they neutral in that subtalar joint at that foot and ankle?
1: And I think it's also important to know you're going to notice that when we get into the program design that we didn't spend any time talking about supination. And the reason being is it's very uncommon for someone to have, you know, even if they have a high art when they actually are weight bearing, the fact that they would be rolling out to that extreme is very uncommon. And so more likely than not, you're going to notice someone's either in neutral, which would be fantastic, or unfortunately that they pronate. And so when we get through and start looking at some of the pictures and some of the program design, just wanted to throw that out there because you're going to notice we didn't do anything for supination. And that's the reason why. So there you go. So moving on.
0: <laughs> with, that
1: um, with that being said, here we go. So we'll talk a little bit about the common compensation. So Marty, do you want to go ahead and talk about those?
0: Yep, And we covered again last week. So we'll briefly cover it here more in depth on on last week's so pronation is a multi-planar movement so that's the key thing here it's not a single plane so and this is of the ankle complex consisting of eversion dorsiflexion and ankle abduction now this is associated with force reduction so as i land everyone's foot is going to pronate okay that's the braking system the key thing is we're not looking for over pronation we're looking for some pronation and then you turn that back into supination. The quicker you do that, the more force you can produce. So that's the key thing here is, is it excessive? So it's multiplanar movement. Then we have eversion, which you'll see in the top right here. This is that movement where the inferior calcaneus or the heel bone moves laterally or the bottom of the foot starts to face outward. So when you look at the ways the ankle can move, this is the one area where it's least likely to have the ankle sprain. Most people have it the opposite, in inversion when they sprain their ankle. This can happen, but again, not as common. So we want to look at that eversion. You'll see again the shape of the Achilles tendon change a little bit, but the key thing is watching that calcaneus and are you seeing it move laterally and the bottom of the foot coming outward. And then the one that I think everybody that's in, done any courses with NASM understands, very easy to see, is that foot external rotation. So this is where one or both, everyone's a little bit different. And one, they both can be turned out, one can be more than the other, but it's either they're straight or they're externally rotated. We don't care about the differentiation. It's, it's either a yes or no type of situation. So these is where the feet or foot would deviate laterally from the starting position. If you set them up in the ideal position first, right? Be fair to them get them to line their feet straight and then watch what happens. So this would be the instep of the feet are no longer parallel. So we have a great picture there looking down at the bottom picture there of bilaterally their feet are externally rotated and yes, these can be combined together, but we looked at them individually.
1: Yes. And I think um, this is why it's so important that when you're doing the overhead squat, why they remove their shoes, because think about what you're missing um, because a lot of the shoes have so much arch support. And so even if somebody is wearing orthotics, have them remove their shoe because it allow you to see the makeup of the foot, because we are going to talk about people that have flat feet. We are going to talk about people that have an arch, but when they stand their feet flatten and you know, there's a big difference between the two because can you see an arch, you know, great. Does the arch disappear when they stand on it? That means there's a weakness within the foot complex itself or complex itself. And you can truly help them get away from those orthotics long term. However, as we said in, in in part one, and I just want to reiterate, we're not taking away someone's or- orthotics in the very beginning we're trying to train the muscles so maybe long term or when they're walking around at home or they're in flip-flops or something where those orthotics are no longer in their shoes they're going to be able to minimize compensations that can occur when their feet flatten um, because of the stress of the you know that it puts on the other joints so there you have it
0: (laughs) there you have it you want to cover pronation
1: sure so as marty you know showed you and as you guys have seen this obviously is an example of someone that has you know pronation now pronation and eversion they usually go hand in hand not always but they do so in this individual you can see both actually um but the overactive muscles that we're talking about Meaning, again, if I'm looking at someone in the very beginning and I notice that they have an arch in their foot, just look at their feet when it's not weight, weight bearing and they're taking off their shoe and notice, do they have an arch? If they do, but then when they stand, you see the image that you see on the screen here. There are going to be very specific muscles that are overactive, which, again, would cause those compensations, which would be and as I, I'm going to still call them peroneals because I'm old school, but the fibularis um, or the lateral gastroc and then the bicep femoris, so the short head of the bicep fem, as well as the TFL. Those are your overactive muscles. And then the muscles that are allowing those compensations, the ones we're going to focus on activating would be the anterior and posterior tibialis, the medial gastroc, as well as the glute medius. And so if we go to the next um, slide, you're going to see, Okay, well, we're going to take these exact same slide, basically, and we're going to do something about it that focuses on those exact same muscles. So remember, if you're looking at your solutions table, don't overthink it. Think about the overactive muscles that we gave you on that solutions chart. And then you're going to spend time foam rolling, and static stretching those, or if you wanna use some vibration tool or something like that that's gonna inhibit the muscles first and then provide a stretch so you can try to get it back into their ideal range of motion, that's step one. And then remember those muscles that caused it are going to finally be able to get back into their normal state You've got to think about the opposing side that, that allowed it. And immediately, if you can activate those muscles, it's going to help realign that joint to get better range of motion, which will lead to better execution when you get to the resistance portion. And so think of this again as kind of your warm up. So this is what you should foam roll. If you see those compensations, this is how you can activate it. Marty and I kind of went through what are our typical activation ones, which we would use a band, like a resistance band. And you would probably need help if you're going to be doing this, meaning as the trainer, you would hold this for your client and go into focusing on a four to one tempo. So you're going to, you know, come up for one, hold for two and then go back into the eccentric portion of that contraction for anywhere from, you know, 10 to 20 repetitions. And then you could easily go into the medial gastroc activation, which Marty and I both do the standing calf raise with the feet internally rotated and they would really come up and focus a lot on their big toe. So they actually put their weight within the big toe. Again, they would come down from that calf raise for four seconds and then repeat. So up for one hold for two and slowly come down for four seconds. And then, of course, the glute mead is also going to be inf- affected because you've got to think of what's happening. Remember, when, you know, there's a lot of things that happen throughout the kinetic chain. So if the glute medius is also underactive, you want to focus on activating that as well. So you're going to do something such as clamshells and or lateral tube walks, anything that you want to do to focus specifically on the glute mead. And then because we focus so much on the corrective exercise continuum, we want to think about putting it all together. So this is where we're going to think, okay, now that we have proper, you know, um, proper length, hopefully, or close to as we're working on it more and more into those areas that were overactive, and then we activated it, we want our brain to realize, okay, what do I do with this newfound length on each side, we're going to go into an integration exercise. And as Marty said, when we first started this, he likes to do single balance. Um, exercises, which that's a huge reason why NASM has balance as a, you know, extended warm up portion, because we really want to make sure that foot and ankle is prepared for what we have coming down, down the rest of the workout. So we both like the single leg balance with reach or a single leg cable rotation where you're rotating over that stance leg
0: yeah and when we put this together we're giving you one of many ways to to accomplish this but you're going to see the key thing is you know we end up with that integration can spend a lot of time on a single leg and how you uh, get the other part of the body working you know counter force or whatever they're doing with the upper body there's so many different ways to do it so don't don't get caught up on the one exercise we picked because we could have picked 10 or 12 different variations but that's why i love putting in single leg balance to every single exercise program that I'm doing as part of my warm up, just to get that neural connection from the foot and ankle all the way up to the head.
1: Absolutely. I do balance with everyone too. Absolutely. All ages.
0: <laughs> there you go. Do
1: you want to take this one, Marty?
0: Sure. So we see feet externally rotate. So is there more going on than just feet externally rotate? Yes. But we're going to talk about just pure feet external rotation. So this is the classic that you've probably have had ingrained into your you know, vernacular through NESM forever, but it's always good to repeat it. So when we look at the feet turning out, and again, we don't care about the degree of it, it's either they turn out or they don't, and we're gonna treat it the same. So you've got the soleus and lateral gastroc calf complex, and then we've got the bicep for more short head because it has the ability to actually rotate that lower leg. And then once again, surprising the TFL from the hip because of its connection through the IT band into the lower leg, can actually rotate the lower leg as well. So those are the muscles that cause the bad motion. Now we look at what allows the bad motion. We've got the medial gastroc, medial hamstring, because right, it's going to control the tibia internally, so getting it back to neutral. Once again, if you see any uh, dysfunction with the lower extremity, we got to look at that glute max, glute medius, and then also two other muscles that we don't talk about as often that have some function on the lower extremity, keeping it back into internal rotation is the gracilis and popliteus. So those are our muscles that we need to wake up to try to get those legs back into that straight forward position. So then as we move into the next slide, we're going to talk about what we would do to attack that. No surprise, we're going to start with the soft tissue work. And so we're going to inhibit and lengthen the soleus, the lateral gastric, the bicep femoris, short head, and then the TFL. A lot of different stretches you can do for those. You guys understand those concepts, but these are the ones you need to go after. And then to activate the underactive tissue, once again, medial gastroc. You see we got a good picture here of that calf raise with the primary focus finishing with the pressure into the base of the big toe. And you'll see that that helps activate more the medial gastroc. Medial hamstrings, I always joke about this. When I was in the gym, I'd have people correct me because if I was even doing a seated leg curl, I'd have my toes internally rotated. Everybody does it with their feet externally rotated, right? So they're actually strengthening their short head of the bicep for femoris. So as we do a hamstring activation, whether it's on a seated, Wendy and I both love the ball hamstring curl you're going to as you see in the picture here with the calf raise you're going to mimic that but now you're going to be having your heels on the stability ball at that nice slow control tempo these are miserable at a 4 2 tempo to do for 12 to 20 reps right because one it's challenging and two we've identified a weak muscle but we really need to make sure those feet don't start to externally rotate because then we'd be feeding into the compensation and that's how almost everybody wants to do their hamstring curls. So we want to go the opposite of that. And then shocking Wendy and I put in, you know, glute bridges, glute medius exercise, whether it's clamshells, sideline, hip abduction, standing hip abduction, got to get that glute complex to fire. And then to integrate, if you can, in your facility, have your shoes off, whether you keep uh, the sock on or whatever, anytime we can get to a more proprioceptively enriched environment, Now a pause, it doesn't mean go right to a Bosu, go right to a DynaDisc, go right to the Airx pads. Because if I can't control that subtalar neutral, even if I don't have to put my other foot down, but the foot and ankles wobbling all over the place, I'm not feeding into correcting the body's ability to maintain neutral. That's a balance exercise, but I'm like, okay, you didn't fall great, but did you maintain subtalar neutral the entire time? So I know Wendy does this and I know I do this. always start on the ground not everyone's going to earn the right to go to those balance toys because it's not about did you not fall it's about did you maintain subtalar neutral and then neutral the five kinetic chain checkpoints while you were doing your balance exercise so shoes on to shoes off is a progression and then it can be single leg balance any progression you want and again i love single leg squats as i'm priming the body to go to the other parts of my workout
1: yes and marty there was a really good question that came in and so i'll just seeing how you're on this slide and i think i mean either one of us can answer it but i'll go ahead and read it to you um when someone has bad balance only on one side or more or or much worse on one side than the other could it be because dysfunction at the foot and ankle on that side
0: absolutely if you look at i'm gonna you know uh, speculate here just due to experience and research is if you look at anybody's ever sprained an ankle and they're Rehab it they're healthy Mm, you know we know that within very short period of time the glute medius on that side starts to shut down so when people say well i sprained my ankle but I, i i you know it feels good now well okay the swelling went away the pain went away but did you have a permanent lack of range of motion now in that did you permanently shut down the glute medius to a certain level so that's just one example of the many's The other thing too is, are you a one-sided dominant athlete? And when I say that, that could be even your work. Let's say you're standing on an assembly line and you're rotating to one side all the time and things like that. You'd be shocked how you can be totally dominant on one side of the body or the other. So we always will start at the foot and ankle, right? Because it's such an important part of the body. So yes, that could be that there's dysfunction in that. And that could be from years before, like 10, 15, 20 years before, doesn't even have to be something that they, it was, is in their recent memory. So a lot of people have some type of injury and never fully heals. And then years later, they start to have more issues with it.
1: And I think it's also important to, to remember that, you know, when people have ankle sprains, it's very common that they resprain that same ankle over and over again without because they don't truly train you know, their their balance and to get the proper rehab and the proper activation as Marty just said. So, you know, that's why the assessments are so important. And it's also very important to note if you only see compensation on one side, then treat that one side for those imbalances. And then, you know, and then once you kind of put everything back together, hopefully that's going to realign the body you know, appropriately. So you may be doing something on one side and doing something completely different on the other, if you didn't see something happening and that's normal, like that's very typical. And that's one thing I think as trainers, especially new trainers, find that hard to understand that if you do see something on one side and not the other, well, what do I do? Because obviously there's an imbalance. Well, just focus on foam rolling and activating that one side. So therefore it can become, you know, get back into better alignment and then you can do things appropriately. But but balance training on both sides, even if one side's worse than the other, that's also very common. It just takes more time and practice and they're gonna have to work harder on that side. But that's why being very specific in your training and watching if they squish the grape, teach them, dig that big toe in, really focus on rolling their weight a little bit on the outside with their foot, you know, planted on the ground. Um, those type of cues are going to be extremely important for that individual.
0: Absolutely.
1: Good, good question. So, um, so feet flattening, I'll go ahead and take this one a little bit, Marty, and then you can chime in here. But once again, when I said it's important to look at someone's feet, When I say that I am anti foot, I don't like feet at all. However, we unfortunately have to look at them. You don't necessarily have to touch them. (laughs) And the reason I say that is because very often I'll get a client that comes into my gym and I'm doing an assessment and they'll tell me that they have flat feet and they were they've always had flat feet when they stand. They don't have an arch. And so when I look at their feet and I see that they actually have an arch in their foot, However, when they stand, they lose it. Then I know that it is an, a, a, the reason for that is because of lack of activation in the arch of the foot. And so therefore their, their feet are weak. And so the, or the arches are weak and therefore they stand. And it looks like they don't have an arch that can easily, you have to spend time on it, but you can work on rebuilding that arch because you know that they have it when they're not weight bearing. However, there is a very small population that is truly born flat footed. And so when someone does remove their shoe or their sock, and you see a picture like the one on the top is weight bearing, they have no arch. And then you see a person that's not weight bearing. They still don't have an arch. That person is truly flat footed. However, it's still okay to train the muscles, that make up that arch for that individual, because it's only going to help them throughout their programming and long-term. And so when you look at this particular person and you want to try to, try to really rebuild an arch, even though you know that biomechanically and structurally, they may never have an arch, you can still focus on those muscles that would uh, you know cause some of that the arches to fall, which would be still focusing on the soleus, the lateral gastroc, short-headed, the bicep fem and TFL, activating the posterior tib, and then try to think about the muscles that would actually flex the toes and cause some of the crunching of the foot. So things such as like a towel crunch with the toes, or even what I've done many times, and we do did this a lot in rehab, was to take marbles and try to pick them up with the toes and put them into a cup, and different things like that where they're actually having to use the, um, the smaller muscles within the foot. And then always, you know, focusing on the glutes. So again, glute medius and max, such as, as Marty said, clamshells, cables, bridges, any of those, or all of those exercises. And then you'll notice that the integration would still be the same. And so just, just know that there is a difference. However, still tra- ch- uh, chain or ch- training and challenging those muscles within the foot complex. It's still super important and very beneficial but there is a significant difference between a truly flat-footed person and someone who, quote, thinks that they have flat feet. So Marty, we have a question and I know you answered this before, so I'll read it to you again. What about people with bunions?
0: This is where, you know, there's things we can do and things we can't do. So if they have bunions and it's not causing them any immediate pain, I will put them through their assessment and I will do a lot of foot and ankle exercising because I'm gonna say, Vast majority of my clients I've ever had and needed some uh, type of work with the foot and ankle. They had one or many of those just movement compensations. If they are having issues with those bunions, I am here, and it's an anatomical thing. It's not going to be corrected through my exercise. That's where I would definitely refer out and have to speak to whether it's a podiatrist or an orthopedic surgeon that focuses on um, foot and ankle. So we have to walk that fine line. Now, if somebody has uh, significant bunions and they want to run and or jump, it's one of those things like, have they been doing it or not doing it? If they haven't been doing it and all of a sudden they have this motivation to start running and I see that biomechanical deficiency, that may lead me ahead of time to try to be even more proactive because biomechanically they're they're at a bigger potential issue than somebody who just might need some soft tissue work right doesn't mean i'm not going to train them doesn't mean i'm not going to let them run etc but this is a conversation i have to say okay when's the last time you did this type of intensity training How, did you have the you know were your bunions uh did you have them then is this something that's developed since have do you have any pain or discomfort when you do more volume etc because if it's a biomechanical issue and they want to start picking up their intensity. Why would I not try to get ahead of that? Why would I wait for an issue to happen? So, you know, it's, it's not an answer I can give you exactly. You have to see the severity of it, but if you have somebody that has bunions and they have no desire to do high intensity exercise, like running or jumping and you have a corrective exercise strategy, you can easily start out with it, but just understand that's something you're always going to have an understanding of that, they're facing that there may be a time that you need to refer out because unfortunately, a lot of times they tend to progress and get worse. But at that point, we're not going to strengthen a muscle that's going to dramatically fix that.
1: And I think another point too, that, you know, it depends on the severity of it. If someone just now you're going to notice that all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's very minimal. However, you know, they also wear closed-toed shoes where the toe box is very small, maybe and you know, teaching them a little bit, a little bit about the supportive shoe that would be more beneficial with the bigger toe box when they're not doing that uh, also trying to think about stretching um, you know like the muscles that are on the bottom of the foot by really trying to open up the the areas around the toes um, a lot of massage therapists spend time and you'll notice that they take it and kind of kind of need their way out of that and another thing too that you could suggest if they're minimal where you're just trying to help them again we're not solving you know for bunions however you're just providing some information is to maybe even look into toe spreaders because oftentimes when those feet are in those shoes or you know they're they're but it's just starting out that can also help alleviate some of the pressure that's being put on um put on those bunions where you can actually um help them get work you know from getting worse or keeping them from getting worse and just offering some suggestions.
0: Yep. All right. We had another question that came in.
1: Yeah, I'll let you take this one, Marty.
0: Okay. So the question is, could you please explain explain, or address Halleck's rigidus and any experience with it? So really, if we go back to what Wendy said, one of the most important things that we're going to look at at the foot and ankle is the ability of the first MTP joint to move, to get into 70 degrees. So if I want to squat, if I wanted to run, especially jump and lunge, if I don't have that motion of the big toe, I'm going to have issues. So if somebody's already coming in with that and they've been diagnosed with that, that means they've gone and seen a medical professional because they're not going to come in with that term and say that themselves. So one, I'm going to say, okay, have you had treatment for it? What was your treatment? Are you cleared for activity, et cetera? So if the if that checks all those boxes, if I know how to do goniometric measurement, I'm going to absolutely measure that first MTP joint to see how close they are to 70. Last week, we did talk about it and definitely uh, go back to that. We talked about doing some stretches with, I like to use the real thin uh, TheraBands and do some stretches on the first toe. I don't teach them how to mobilize their own joint because that is manipulation. But people like myself and Wendy and other healthcare practitioners can go in there and manipulate that joint. But if I do certain lunge positions when it's appropriate and even the uh, rectus femoris stretch and kneeling position and start to get that toe to flex as the exercise, you're gonna get some of that motion back. Now, remember though, if they come in with that, that's a medical diagnosis, we wanna make sure that they're cleared from that before we get them into fitness, but you're gonna to have to address it in the sense that we want everybody's first toe to move well. So this is why we like progressing from a squat where my foot is fixed into lunges, into other exercises, because I'm going to get that motion naturally during the exercises. So again, just ask, cleared, you good? And if there's any pain or discomfort, please let me know. Take them through the assessment. Definitely put together a corrective exercise program for foot and ankle. And it may be good just to, if they've had it before, keep that mo the joint mobile by adding that additional stretch that we addressed last week.
1: And I think to add on to that too, it's important that if they did, you know, they got this quote diagnosis, did they really get it from an MD or was this Google? I had someone come in, and they they had said this before too. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, well, what did your doctor say? Did they give you any kind of exercises? Because again, if they're coming from a physical therapist or they're coming from another, you know, medical practitioner, implementing some of those exercises, especially on a corrective side, and maybe even putting your spin to it or or changing it up just a little bit, maybe just to make it different. However, still focusing on those same same um, patterns it's actually a good thing and so that's why it's really important to ask so you can actually implement it or if they just said no they came up with it themselves then you can you can try to uh, talk them into going to see if this is truly what it is from a medical provider or um you know you can try to see if there's some corrective exercises that you could do excellent great google sometimes it can be a killer (laughs)
0: Yeah. So actually um, it's, it's kind of ironic that that question came in because I kind of touched on it. So uh, Wendy, I'll, I'll jump in here. Cause I know you and I have talked about it yeah. is if anybody has any foot and ankle dysfunction, we always want people to progress through the model. Trust me. When, we, you, if there's one thing that Wendy and I are, we're consistent. Okay. You're going to see it in the key takeaways again here in a second or two, but please, I know people, they come in wanting high intensity and that, could include a lot of running and jumping and you name it. Not saying not to do that, but the model is your best friend for a reason. We need to earn the right to go to those. But if you have to do high intensity, because it just it's something that this person's going to do with or without you, think about if they have that foot and ankle issue, can you find a way to do it without the running and jumping? Okay. So you should have battling ropes, shadow boxing, maybe a pool workout, maybe more intense cycling things that you can do while you get that foot and ankle. You saw from the very beginning how complex the anatomy is, right? So if I'm landing and that foot and ankle is automatically not gonna be functioning properly in a static posture or a slow squat, imagine what happens at high speed when you load it repetitively with your body weight. So yes, I'm always gonna be cautious with that. So there are ways that you can find unique, challenging ways to get the heart rate up, whether it's a rowing machine, upper body ergometer, you know, get med ball slams. I'm okay with a lot of those things as long as it checks other boxes with their kinetic chain checkpoints, but just don't automatically go to running and jumping if they have the foot and ankle dysfunction, because it's kind of like, I'm gonna use the term a ticking time bomb, because again, if somebody has bad posture in their feet standing, it's only gonna get worse under fatigue and at high speeds especially if you're loading them eccentrically rapidly.
1: Yes. And if you want to think about this if you guys are very visual people, which I am, think if somebody comes to you and their feet turn out, they have no arch meaning that they, you know, they pronate and then, you know, you're looking and thinking about what happens throughout the rest of the kinetic chain and then you add jumping to that. Think about the amount of stress that you're putting on on the inside of the knee and what's happening at the hip itself. And then when that happens at the hip, what's happening at the sacrum, and then remember if the hips aren't in neutral alignment, then it can happen, you know, it can actually stress out the lat and then that can end up with shoulder issues. And when your shoulder's internally rotated and your, your hips aren't properly aligned, how it can end up, you know, pulling on your scalenes, your levator, and then you can end up with with Neck and head issues, guys. It really does work its way up the kinetic chain, and to Marty's point, there are so many different ways you guys can be very creative in your programming, but still work on that because I said this in the beginning, I'll say it again. It takes approximately four to six weeks. So it's going to take the body some time to realign itself with your programming. So it's probably not going to be instantaneous. You're not going to do it and they may look great throughout their workout. However, it's going to take a lot of repetitive You know, um, conditioning for the body to say, "Okay, this is the new way. This is how I'm supposed to stand versus somebody thinks they're standing straight. Their feet are turned out because that's what their mind and their body knows. So it just takes time as a trainer. You have to be patient. You have to be very specific in explaining why you're doing something somebody wants to lose weight and you're working on their big toe they're going to be like what the hell i came in to see you i want to lose weight now you're focusing on my big toe it may not make sense to them so you really have to be very clear in your understanding and make sure that they know that there is a purpose that's going to lead them to their goal long term and they're going to get there safely
0: 100 so
1: all right cool. so if we go and look at the key takeaways Um, This, again, is going to be part one, part two, but there are multiple joints and muscles that make up the foot and ankle complex. Approximately 26 bones and 20 muscles and 30 joints. Assessments are truly key. Guys, remember, even if it's small, note it because it can make a big impact later on. And as we talked about today, really focus on the areas that are overactive and try to get proper link back into those tissues Think about what's causing them, which are the areas that you activate, and then put it all together in the integration component. If you do that every workout and then go into different types of reactive programming that follows the model and the specific phase they're in, they are going to reach their goals uh, quicker, they're going to feel better, they're going to move better, and you're going to help them long term.
0: Yep, I yeah, couldn't say it better myself. <laughs> Follow, follow the model. Follow points. Exactly.
1: <laughs> follow the model, y'all.
0: That's it. <laughs> Absolutely. So I know we answered some questions already, which is great. So the key thing I think is to make sure you go back and watch session one, and this will tie together nicely if you missed it. I think those are the key points.
1: Yes. And if you guys want to contact me, you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13, or you can always feel free to email me directly at wendy.bats at wendy.batsnasm.org.
0: And then my information is right there, marty.miller at nasm.org. And then Instagram is dr.martymiller72. So Wendy, as always, it's a pleasure and look forward to our, you know, fun master instructor roundtable we got planned for next week.
1: Yes. Can't wait to see you guys again. Thanks.
0: Thanks, everybody.